Welcome to Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Derek and Jimmy. We're talking about Notes from a Quiet Town documentary. Uh, the second part is uh, after the first performance of Cody, we go back into some scenes of Nephi. The first scene that comes up in this part is the Nebo Queen. So there's a restaurant on Main Street in Nephi. When we were growing up, this restaurant was called Vard's, owned by Vard White. So Vard's is close to our heart. Over the years, it's changed names a couple times. It's been Jerry's Dairy and Burger Barn, and it's been... Reed's. What else was it? Reed's. Reed's. Yeah, it was yeah. Reed's for a long time. I guess it was Reed's in when we were in high school. Yeah. Um, now it's called Nebo Queen, which is a sister restaurant to Santa Quinn's Santa Queen. And it just shows some scenes of burgers being made, fries being fried, and it's all a setup <coughs> for... Well, it's there's some Americana feel to the drive-in or the diner where they make burgers and fries you know, classic American food. But it's also kind of a setup for the story that, that gets told next of an interview with the Johnsons who met or were introduced while Peggy was working at Vard's at the time. And kind of just, they tell their story about how they met and started dating and ended up getting married. And it shows the heart with their na- initials in concrete uh, there next, right next to the, the restaurant. Definitely think, and this has came out before, if you go back and read the older interviews with Brandon, he'll usually mention spots in Utah, like these little burger joints, not a national chain or whatever, you know, has things that he likes to order or whatever. And one of them was the Santa Queen. I said that like I live in Santa Queen, because I do. Uh, but the Nebo Queen, as you say, sister restaurant, same owners. Um, so I thought that was kind of something to... To piece together there if you've ever read those interviews where he likes going there. You know, that's just these small town drive-in type places. Growing up, we always called them Dairy Queens for whatever reason. That's what my parents would call them. Even though it wasn't the chain Dairy Queen, it was just a Dairy Queen. Kind of like in the in the South, if you want a, a soda pop, it's a Coke. It doesn't matter if you want Pepsi Coke or a Sprite Coke, it's a Coke. So uh, it was us, do you want to go to the Dairy Queen? And it was, you know, well, do you want to go to Bard's Dairy Queen or do you want to go to Frosty Free <laughs> or, or TJ's or, or wherever? So for me, I kind of relate to that. And usually these places have really good food. They have pretty pretty good portions, pretty good burgers, you know, halibut or chicken and, and English chips if you like shakes and stuff. So if you're ever driving through a small town somewhere uh, and you have a chance to go to like a McDonald's or Wendy's or one of these smaller places, Probably hedge your bet and, and try the smaller place, and you might be pleasantly surprised. But, uh, yeah, the whole point of it was to, to just tell the story of this couple that met there and and how they met. And it was kind of a fun story. I liked uh, when she said they were talking about the friend that was interested in her, and the guy said, well, she was much too hot for him. <laughs> so she, he had to move in and, and ask her out. It's just kind of fun. I don't know. And then when it said Peg and Al in the, in the cement there, I thought the Bundys, married with children, Pe- Peg and Al Bundy. But... Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't them, but it just that's where my mind went. So, well, I see the Johnsons. It's just uh, you know brings back good memories for me and leaders in church when I was growing up. And like uh, Quiet Town says, great people. Uh, it was cool to see them in there. Um, and then it goes back to kind of with the interstitials and stuff, where you know girls are dragging Maine and meet their their boyfriends, or you know we got married and this kind of stuff. And you know the time uh, when they got married, you know she was sixteen, he was nineteen, and they got married and they've stayed together since, which. Is pretty uncommon in the world, but is it so uncommon in, in small uh, towns, especially with religious ties to them? Uh, usually people, for the most part, I mean, obviously it's not 100%, and, you know, everyone can say, well, this person or that person. I'm not trying to say it is a unified, definite statement. I have to, like, I don't know why I feel like I have to, like, preface everything you I say. You people calling you out. <clears throat> yeah, I, I understand it doesn't work for everybody, but it's kind of interesting that they met that young, and they've stayed together in the same town with the same you know, people and had a family and, and uh, 
so much to the point that they were going back to where they, they met to have lunch on this day when the, the camera crew was there to ask him about it. So I'm not thinking that was something that it might have been. I don't know, but I'm thinking that was something they were just walking out and they asked him their story. And they probably asked a few people their stories, and that was the one that they got put on the on the film. I don't think that was something where they knew him ahead of time and, and planned it all up. So that was... Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't know yeah. the Johnsons at all, but that was a, a great story. That'd be interesting to find out because they have them see him there and ha- where they interview him, where they had put their names in 1972 or whatever. Yep. I intended to think that they were. Pro- it was probably set up, but I don't know how they would have found out. I don't know. It could have been. They could have asked around town and and got that. And I also like the line that they said, uh, "We dated for a year. They got married. It seemed like a good thing to do. <laughs> like it was just a." Uh, it was just matter-of-factly. It wasn't like this big romantic thing, and, and we went here and there, and we, you know, had these excursions, and we whatever. It was just like, yeah, we stuck together for a year, and it seemed like a good thing to do, so we did it, and it turned out all right. You know, very very solid of the earth kind of thing. Yeah, so the next scene is uh, kids jumping on, I guess it's kind of a... I, was, I said water slide, but I didn't know what to call it. Yeah, I'm not sure. You're, you're the one we had a bounce house, or a... Uh, what was that splash pad story off the air? So you got a lot more experience in the modern day water features with kids. Um, but yeah, just it was a scene of kids playing in the water in the sprinklers, and they had some kind of a water toy there they were jumping on. Yeah, like a slip and slide to some slip extent. Slip and slide, that's what I was. But not for. quite. It was a little more inflated. I don't know. Yeah, no I, mercy. That's all I got from that. Was that no, was no mercy. <laughs> no yeah, mercy. We spent a lot of time. I uh, spent a lot of time as a kid running through the sprinklers, putting the sprinklers under the trampoline, jumping on it. And, you know, you just make up stuff to yell when you run through, when it's your turn. So that was pretty funny to, pretty fun to watch the kids just jumping around and, yeah. and they're yelling, no mercy. No mercy. <laughs> it, it gets hot, and that's uh, that's a good way to just uh, kill an afternoon is let the kids run through the sprinklers. And if you have something as cool as that to jump on, I mean, I'd have been all over it at, the, at a certain age. I'd probably be all over it now if they'd let me. But <laughs> Then it goes to the annex where Brennan grew up, and uh, we've, a few weeks after our interview with Meadow, she was kind enough to take us on a tour. Her and her husband, Tony, were, took us on a tour of the annex and showed us around, and we were able to take some pictures and hear some of their stories of their time there. And so it was cool to see this. This is Tony, this is Meadow's husband, sitting outside the annex where he was asked to do an interview with the, the crew and told the story about a suicide that happened. And a very sad story, very sad experience to have to go through. But, you know, just talks about some of the, I guess, a reflection of some of the pressure you go to to provide for your family and something goes wrong and uh, just a crazy sad situation yeah it was kind of interesting because when we talked with tony he said you know they they brought these cameras out and they were you know rolling the reels like the old time film guys and asking these questions and he he talked with them for uh, probably about an hour a little over an hour and that was what they they took out and chose to use and he said they talked a lot about other stuff but that was kind of what they were after and uh, meadow was kind of not upset, but said, geez, we could have painted this or, you know, take a shot here. But it seemed like they wanted to get a certain aspect of Nephi, whether or not it was uh, an older, um, kind of run down, I guess would be the word, but not as upkept as it really is, or they caught it on the wrong day, or, you know, that kind of thing seemed to be kind of what they were shooting for, which again goes back to those director notes earlier. But one of the things that kind of surprised me is after we went to the annex, was uh, down at my family's house, and uh, so I went back to, to dinner with my uh, parents and we were kind of talking about this and uh, that story it was a it was a girl that was a young girl uh, that lived over in Fountain Green um, which is just through the the Nephi Canyon and she had some sort of a, a disease or something and it was around Christmas time if I remember correctly and what she wanted uh, was basically Christmas cards and so 
it was kind of before things went viral, but it went viral of uh, this girl's kind of make a wish, dying wish thing is she just wants uh, Christmas cards from around the world or, or cards from around the world. And it caught up in the news uh, media. You could probably find the story, I'm sure, if you were to search it to some extent. Uh, but the output was so great that uh, it shut down the, the uh, Fountain Green post office. It was just overwhelmed by all the mail that was coming in for this little girl. After all that had happened and uh, the girl didn't make it, um, I don't know if this happened before or after, but uh, like they were saying in the story, the guy um, committed suicide, which is sad and tragic. But um, talking with my family, my dad said, well, you remember who that was. And I, I had no, I mean, I remember the story about the girl in Fountain Green, but I didn't know. And he told me the name of the, the kid, and it was somebody that I'd grown up going to church with, was a few years younger than me, but I knew his family, I knew him, and I didn't know didn't know that story, so that got kind of personal pretty fast. And that's kind of when we talk about Nephi's a small town, everybody knows everybody. Uh, yeah, to some extent, we probably don't know everyone's everything. We don't know everyone's business. We don't know everything everyone's going through. Um, but you can relate, even something like that, where you haven't seen somebody for... Uh, 20 years or whatever it was at that time um, to hear the story I, I knew who the family was you know and uh, sad story paints the picture of the annex and, and goes with uh, the theme of the album and stuff pretty good but uh, just just kind of weird how stuff like that happens and kind of the more we talk the more stories and links get put together to where I don't know I, I listen to different things in the album now and it relates even differently than it did you know two months ago so the next scene is someone spinning donuts in their go-kart on uh, the street I grew up on, a little bit further from my house, but definitely a part of uh, the street where, you know, growing up, I rode my bike from my house down to 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee or baseball cards or whatever, so it was cool to see. Um, I don't know who it was. You know who it was? I have no clue who it was, but if you go to Nephi, people ride ATVs and four-wheelers and golf carts and all those kind of things around on the streets. They don't usually spin out and make a bunch of dust. I think that was something that was prompted for the film. I think if you were to do that too much, they'd call the police and shut you down because nobody wants all that dust going through town and, and bother neighbors. But it's definitely not uncommon to see uh, those kinds of vehicles and, and young kids driving around town. The next scene is an interview with Andy, who's who makes it on some of the interstitials on the album, but uh, he shares a story of the when he owned the motel one of the motels there in town and had to run in with some, some kids who were looking for trouble and found it. <laughs> you came looking for trouble, you found it. Yeah, they got a lot of content. That's what I was trying to say earlier. They probably got cut out, out of Omni is what I was trying to come up with. But there's controversy about that hotel even now. I'm not going to get into all of it. It's the Safari Hotel. I'm not sure if I think Andy might own it again or still owned it or something. I don't know if that's true or not, but... It's, it's a cool out-looking sign. I've never stayed at the hotel, and I, I never will from what I've seen or heard about it, but I guess people need to stay somewhere. Um, but yeah, his story was uh, kind of a crazy one. I don't know, again, all the facts with it. I'll just take his word for what happened and uh, just go listen to it. It involves him not being the son of a deputy and the, the kid that was, you know, I thought it was weird when he, I, I don't know how he knew their side of the story, kind of, unless it came out in court, because he's sitting there talking about what they were thinking, what he was thinking, and they called their dad, who was a sheriff or a deputy or whatever, and they were getting all this information about the legality of when it's all right to shoot him, and like, well, did they have a gun? Or were they, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to probably try to talk to Andy at some point, I guess, is how it's all going to have to work out. But he tells this whole story from their side of view, then his side of view, and then he shoots around off in the middle of the city, which his location is almost in the middle of the city, I mean, around Main Street, and uh, obviously cops are called, and 
luckily no one was hurt or, or shot, but there was a, uh, a Facebook post, or maybe it was an Instagram post from, um, was it the director? When they were interviewing Andy before all this oh. came out, when we were kind of watching. And, one of the producers. Uh, one of the producers that kind of told the story as well, and, you know, they were out there shooting, and uh, Andy's also in the interstitials, him and, him and uh, John, when they're working on a car, and, uh, you know... Uh, his brain doesn't work quite right or, or whatever. So you hear Andy and see Andy a lot, and that was where they were playing the concert. So he definitely contributed to this uh, album and documentary quite a bit. The next scene is the Mona rope swing, the Burston Ponds rope swing, which, um, you know, most people that grew up in Nephi probably have stories there. When we talked to Mayor Seeley, he talked about uh, the time there was a motorcycle convention or something there. and <laughs> all, the, all the gangs came out. The, the motorcycle biker games came through for the, for the summer and, the Camp of Burstons. It's another example of a song, a snippet of an acapella, some lyrics that Brandon sings while the people are doing flips into the water. And it has him singing, When I was young, I closed my eyes, think of the water, out of the Salt Creek. And, uh, you know, definitely not the Salt Creek, but uh, that's all right. Yeah, that's in, actually, it's in Mona, too, so that's not even Nephi. But uh, did you ever go off the, the rope swing at Burstons, Jimmy? I don't think I ever went off of it. I definitely went out there when our friends were jumping off. We had friends who were really into that rope swing for a time. You ever go off it? Uh, I believe I went off a time or two. I was uh, I was told not to swim in Burstons. My dad, when he was a young man, actually saved a, uh, a, a carnival worker who was swimming out in Burstons. And I guess there's different spots, so it'll get way warm in some areas and then cold. And so this guy cramped up and, and went down, and I don't know if my dad was there on a scout camp or something, but he went out there and, and, and saved this carny worker, and he got it, uh, wrote up in the Times News and all that. He still has the article, so I verified that, that it happened because, uh, you know, sometimes stories are just fun to tell. But anyway, so I was always kind of told to not swim in there, but I think I went off at a time or two, and I, I swam in Burstons a time or two anyways, and would go catch crawdads and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of people that come from um, different areas of the state, too. That's kind of a popular road trip or something. A lot of people would come down to Burston's Ponds. Uh, it kind of had a reputation. Uh, we do scout camps and stuff out there occasionally and stuff too and go camp out. But there was a time, um, I don't know if it was the, you know, 70s or 80s, somewhere in there, and maybe even more into the 90s, that it was more of a party place where a lot of people would go and how the roads were built, there's separate ponds and you could drive around the ponds. So people would go out there and, and uh, get wild or whatever. And if the cops came, um, there's different outlooks, so if they came, they, people could get in their car and kind of drive out and debate them. By the time they got around, they'd go the other way, and, you know, uh, it's not smart to, to drink and drive and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I'm surprised there wasn't more Whiskey from a plastic jug and <laughs> yeah. person ponds. Yeah, so I'm, I'm surprised that there wasn't people that crashed into the lake and, and all sorts of things that could happen. Mona was a lot smaller back then, too, so it was really a lot more remote. Uh, but then the... the I don't know if it was the sheriffs or Mona City or whoever decided that they'd put rocks. So there's big boulders if you go out there now that block places so that people can't do that random fact of, of <laughs> Trout County by Derek Everett there. But, uh, yeah, so I've, I've had experiences after Bursted's. It's a fun place. Uh, I'd say you're, you're fine to go off the rope swing, just be safe, and, uh, you know, have somebody that can, can save you if you, if you cramp up. But <laughs> Let Derek's dad know you're in town. Yeah, let, <laughs> let my dad know you're in town, and he'll be on guard. Uh, the next scene is the fireman putting up the flag over Track Street and explaining how they started doing it and how it became a tradition. And That's something they do on the 4th of July. Uh, this year I posted a, on Instagram a picture that I took from next to the old gym by the fire station. Just It's a cool display and uh, shows 
you know, some of the culture of the town, some of the patriotism that exists there and support for the troops. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing to see. The funny part about that is uh, the, the fireman uh, that they interviewed was uh, my parents' neighbor's uh, brother. And so when the film came out and all that, um, she came over to my parents and was asking about it. And they're like, well, it was your brother. Like, and I guess he kept it secret. She didn't even know that he was in it till it had been released and, you know, some of the details about that. So that was kind of interesting. I don't know. I found that kind of interesting. But, yeah, it, it's a nice tradition they do. I wish they'd do it all day long. I hate when I go down there because... Fourth uh, of July, if you don't have kids and stuff to go to the Nephi Park, it's really just hot and you're walking around and, and seeing a bunch of people and their kids and, and I don't know. I did a few years, but it's kind of not my thing anymore, so I'll go down more at night for the fireworks and stuff. So if you don't go down by, I think it was 3 o'clock, they've already put that down. That's one thing I do like to see when I, when I go down there. And uh, I think he said they do it for special events too, like uh, fireman funerals and, and that kind of thing too. So it's, it's just a cool thing. Uh, just a side note uh, for people wondering, that's also Track Street. Uh, so if you're wondering where Track Street is, you can drive down there at the 4th of July, be on Track Street, and see the flag. Then the next scene cuts to the fireworks on the 4th of July, and it's the same firemen that are, are igniting the fireworks and making sure that they don't get out of control. And, yeah, it's really cool because they got to be, they got to film from right, right where they launch them, and they were going off right, right above them. And that's one of the cool things... Uh, if you like that kind of thing, is you can get really close to the fireworks in Nephi. They used to let them off over by the, the high school football field, and you could sit on the football field and watch them. And I think they were a little too close to some of the the dry weeds <laughs> that grow on the side of the hill. But yeah, things would usually catch on fire to some extent. Um, and I think the town's grown a little bit too. I know. Yes, they used to be. They used to actually do them at the city park. At the park, yeah. Yeah, the, a long I've, time ago. I've heard stories of people who uh, were down at the park and their blankets caught on fire because it was <laughs> that close and things would just fall down and you know you'd have to smother out the fire on your on your blanket. That was that was another time, but man, man people love their fireworks and and uh, the Fourth of July is a great time to come to Nephi. If uh, if you're ever thinking about times to come visit Nephi and make it like a destination trip, I'd say uh, you know this would be the month to do it. And you should either do it over the the Fourth of July as seen here or do it over uh, the U Stampede, which we'll get to. Uh, here in a little bit, just get the most bang for your buck. But um, yeah, it was it was cool. I remember that year where I was watching it from, and I didn't know the documentary was down there filming it or whatever. I wasn't at the fairgrounds; I was a few blocks away because I didn't want to be around a lot of people and stuff. But it's it's fun. Well, I just remembered another place that they used to launch the fireworks from was the golf course, and between the high school football field, the golf course, and the city park, and the fairgrounds. You're covering a lot of killers' territory there, so yeah, the, the fireworks have quite the history of related to killers' lyrics. I wonder if Brandon's a fireworks fan. I don't know. I know he's definitely a neon lights kind of guy. That was about <laughs> as neon as Nephi got. When he <laughs> was the there. Safari Motel sign. Maybe. That was as exciting as it got. Yeah. And then it goes to the next song, which um, is "Terrible Thing," which is recorded at the old gym, and that was really cool because the, the old gym has since um, has been closed down, but we definitely have a lot of memories from growing up. The old gym was the center of a lot of activities. Yeah, it's located uh, right by the city building and uh, the fire station, so right in between. Uh, so if you're ever driving down that same track street, you can pull in there and see the outside of it. Uh, there was a lot of memories there growing up. You'd have everything from uh, skating parties uh, for birthday parties to skate nights on on the weekends to uh, they called it junior jazz, which was you know just a, a recreational kids basketball. And and when they walked into the gym. I couldn't tell for sure what was on the ground, but it looked like some basketballs and stuff. And I don't know, again, if that was staged and how they wanted it or if that was just how they found it. They left it. 
I'm guessing obviously the uh, the lights and the uh, lamps were, were brought in and the chairs, I mean, but I don't know all the other decor that was kind of around there. Again, you're talking about July in an old uh, condemned building in Nephi. It had to be pretty hot. So uh, for them not to be sweating and I don't know how many hours they spent or how many takes they did to do that, uh, it came out really good and uh, again shows you know how committed uh, Brandon was to, to making this happen how he wanted it to happen because I think most people have been uh, in there and said, never mind, let's do it outside or, you know, let's do it at night or, or something like that. And they, they did it in the day and uh, a, lot, a lot of memories came back. If you go, you know, read comments and that kind of thing, it's kind of fun to see other people that grew up there and, and you know, their memories of the old gym as well. It's, uh, it was uh, Santa Claus would come there. I'm trying to think of all the things that would happen at the old yeah, gym. Jazz players would come and sign autographs <laughs> for the kids. Santa Claus and we played basketball there sometimes early morning sometimes late at night sometimes you know leagues and just for fun sometimes uh, I remember playing we played roller hockey there and uh, it was just there I know there were gymnastics classes that were taught and anything you could think of that needed a big open space or a gym floor happened and <laughs> happened at the old gym it was called the old gym because it used to be the the gymnasium of the high school before uh, the current few high schools were built so there's there's old uh sayings around town if somebody's trying to tell you how to go somewhere or get somewhere and if they were to say it's right behind the old gym or by the old gym if you didn't know it's not marked on there anywhere where it says old gym or, or anything like that it's just one of those things that if you know you know and i guess if you listen to this now you know but uh, a lot of memories it didn't really uh the context of the song um it was an acoustic version it was a very uh emotional song obviously to begin with and then uh but the context with the with the old gym, I, I liked it more for the nostalgia of what happened there. It didn't really uh, fit with the song theme as much as they could have went down to the Old Mill Park or they could have went to the Salt Creek or, you know, the Rodeo Grounds or anything that's mentioned actually in the song. But uh, for whatever reason, this was the uh, decision that was made, and I think it came out. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful video. I'm, I'm obviously biased because of the old gym and all that, but I think they... Uh, seem to hit it out of the park every time I try to be critical of this album. I, I really can't be. So, Another thing that somebody had, had posted is uh, during one of the Instagram Lives, when they first started doing Instagram Lives, uh, I don't remember if it was the first of COVID or 2020 or somewhere in there. Uh, it was just Brandon and Ronnie, and they'd uh, usually play a song and answer some questions and, and talk for a little bit. And uh, I think it was the first one they did. Uh, it was either first or second. Somebody asked about the uh, Stampede and if Brandon had ever been there or something like that, or his memories, and, and he talks about it. And he mentioned something about that was a cool time to be in Nephi or something like that. And Ronnie says, we actually uh, have wrote a song that's called uh, Bathing Beauty Queen of the Stampede Rodeo or something like that. And so I don't know for sure if that was like the, the first version or the first title or initial uh, version of this song or not, but I... I have imagined you can't have too many songs about the uh, Bathing Beauty uh, Rodeo Queen. So uh, if you want to go back and listen to that in the Killer's Instagram archives, um, I think you can find it on YouTube, if not on their Instagram page. It's just interesting, and it's it's also showing that uh, kind of the process of when they were writing this album, kind of what they were thinking, and and uh, some titles and stuff. And I don't know. I found it interesting just because... Yeah it lined up perfectly with the song. Well, especially to think of how, how long they'd been working on it and how long, you know, we find out about it. And in my mind, Pressure Machine starts in August of 2021, but for them, it was a long time in the works. Well, that gets us to the second song of three on the documentary. So I think we'll stop there for this episode and hope you join us again. That's another episode down from Lonely Town. Lonely Town.